For January 31st, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 709. We get older, the music man stays the same age. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it doesn't deserve. Deserve, 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 deserve. We have a method here. We call it the overthink method, where we don't actually (laughs) practice the podcast. We just think about doing the podcast, which I think accounts for the quality of our podcast over these last 709 uh, episodes, 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 episodes on the podcast, 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 podcast. (laughs) No one knows what I'm talking about. Or I guess you have because you've seen the you've seen the the uh the show art um you know we like to uh we like to keep it real topical on this show we like to really be up ripped from the headlines <laughs> exactly like like a good episode of law and order and uh pete laughs because this is the part of the show where i gaslight the audience um so uh you know while while we wait in anticipation uh in in uh, as we say joyful hope for the coming of the Super Bowl between the Bengals of Cincinnati, home of many tigers, and the Rams of Los Angeles, home of many sheep. Uh, we, uh, we need to find something else to do. Fortunately, fortunately, one of us went to the theater and we have a, a, a great deal to talk about because the person went to see a little show called The Music Man starring Wolverine and Liza from Younger. That's right. Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster is Harold Hill and Marion the Librarian. Uh, Mark Lee went to see that. We'll be uh, talking about that in just a second. But first, let me introduce everybody. I'm Matt Rather. We have a uh, son of a music teacher, Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. Hello. 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 <laughs> yeah, close enough. Close <laughs> <laughs> that was not terrible. Uh, we have a, an actual trombone player, and you know what? He was so talented. Him playing trombone was like 76. Peter Fenzel. Hello, Matt. I, I, uh, I contain multitudes. And uh, multitudes of trombones. <laughs> and and uh, we have Mr. Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. How are you? The, the criticism that cannot be loved about me is that uh, – uh, I do know the territory. Here's the thing, right? Unlike that other guy who doesn't know the territory. No, you do. He I knows know the territory. He knows the he knows the territory. It's uh, and it's by the way, it's Professor Mark Lee, the band leader, the only drum major on this, uh, this uh, on this podcast, and also the one who uh, bought tickets to see this. Um, Highly anticipated uh, revival of the Music Man, and bought them something like eighteen or nineteen years ago. Mark, how did you come to see the Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, and how was it? Well, a traveling salesman came through town uh, <laughs> with a big suitcase, and he was hawking tickets to Broadway shows. Uh, the funny thing is that he knew a global pandemic was on the way uh, and made off like a banner. No, 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 no. <laughs> in, in, the, in the year 2019, a uh, very long time ago, it feels like, my wife and I brought tic- bought tickets uh, to the hotly anticipated Hugh Jackman Sutton Foster star-studded production of The Music Man. Uh, fast forward two years. After that, you know, several many waves of COVID, our showtime finally arrived. And we'll, by the way, if you want to, if you're a member, 
Um, or if you want to become a member, you can listen to Belinky and I talk about kind of the minutia and and the, the ins and outs of going to see a Broadway show uh, during this pandemic time and in this in this champion ongoing championship season. Um, but yes, so we finally saw the show. We'd waited two years to see. It was pretty friggin' great. Um, that's this is not an, a really overthinky kind of take, but I just want to get these thoughts out here. It was provided if nothing else, it's a, it's a fun thing to talk about. Um, and let me just talk about Hugh Jackman for a second as well, right? Um, I, I think I'm a noted detractor of um, the movie version of Les Mis that came out a few years ago starring Hugh Jackman as Jean Valjean. Um, he was by no means the worst thing about that movie. There are a lot of bad things about that movie. Um, he wasn't great either. Um, his, his singing voice is uh, adequate, but a little warbly at the high end. But you know what? It didn't matter. Um, because if you've seen, you know, the famous 1960s, uh, uh, version of this movie starring Robert Preston, you, you know that the part of Harold Hill is less, so much really not about singing. It's about two things. Um, one, it's a kind of rapid fire, uh, like patter. Is that a fair word? To patter, describe? patter, 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 yeah, patter, patter. Yeah, yeah. Um, that with a capital P, uh, that stands for patter, um, with that rapid fire vocal, more spoken delivery. And of course, just oodles and oozles of charisma, Right. Um, charm because he's you know he's a huckster con man traveling salesman you know, got to have that for the part but there's also just like the physicality and the dancing um uh that 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 sells the whole package so he was great in it he was i, I thought that he's so freaking famous and kind of you know uh physical you know such a physical presence that it was almost a little bit distracting right i was like well, when are the claws going to come out when is he going to decapitate Mayor Shin with adamantium claws, because that's kind of what I've been primed to expect from watching Hugh Jackman so many years. Um, that didn't happen until uh, after the curtain call. Um, <laughs> Hugh Jackman is pretty great. Um, Sutton Foster is like radiant, and her voice is uh, as clear as a bell tolling in the Swiss Alps. So that's a different musical. Um, Sutton Foster is amazing uh, at an excellent turn as, as Marion the Librarian as well. Um, it, yeah, it was it was it was a stellar production. It was a lot of fun. It, it is still in previews, by the way. I don't know if I'm violating some deep uh, Broadway code by um, uh, opining in a review like fashion before the show is technically open. Um, but uh, it it. it you know, the source material is so good as well, like the musical itself, which I'm sure we're, we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, it, it's it, it's kind of hard to mess it, <laughs> mess it up if you've got a really competent crew uh, doing the thing. So, yeah, it was awesome. It was, so it was fantastic. In solidarity with Mark, we all watched the the 1960, what, 19, uh, the 1960s <laughs> film um that the, you know, the famous one, and that's, uh, you know, kind of going to form the basis of our conversation about the, uh, about the show itself with Mark sort of, um, you know, contributing observations about, uh, the, the live revival. Mark, I, I have to assume that, that some material was excised for, or, you know, reworked for political reasons. Uh, there are two notable yeah. changes, at least one that I, that I remember. Uh, one is, uh, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but uh, I'm given to understand that Mershin's wife uh, performs a derogatory Native American stereotype in uh, the Fourth of July, a, a certain Fourth of July ceremony. Yeah, kind of a, uh, like a like a Peter Pan level of uh, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is cut from the show. Um, and the other one is lyrics to Shapoopy are modified. Um, so I think it's gender flipped, basically. Um, if the original is something you know. It, it's all about if how much a girl puts out on, uh -huh. on 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 first, second, and third dates, and I think they just changed that reference to a guy. Um, Wait, what? So what's it about now? 
Uh, that this is fascinating. You're, you, you know, that's the thing is that no one is really sure what Shapoopy is about. It is one of the great mysteries. I mean, I, I guess uh, of, even of in the universe. original, it's a little vague. It comes so fast. Those lyrics come so fast that like it, it is very hard to parse. At least I, I found it so watching it, you know, and I had no distractions and uh, uh, the ability to rewind digitally on the, the Apple TV. Right. It was. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah, it is. It is difficult. But Matt, I'm sure you can uh, perform Shapoopy from memory uh, right now. So I'd like to ask you to do that. Let's see. Oh, it, 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 <laughs> that is not like, how it wow, begins. Really? The woman who kisses on the very first date is usually a hussy. Yeah, you got to you got to change that. I, I I only got through one line. And the woman who waits for the second time out is anything but fussy. But a woman who waits the third time around, hand in the clouds, feet on the ground. She's the girl you're glad you found. She is your shapoopy, shapoopy, shapoo. So I guess it's good <laughs> to be a shapoopy. Um, right. Yeah, that's that's right. Shapoopies. Um, but I mean, I guess it, it just Shapoopy is one of these songs in the show, and there are a bunch that are they don't really push the plot forward in a dramatic, propulsive way. That like the Music Man is a is a loose show, right? The plot is more of a clothesline to to hang these sort of delightful interludes off of. It's like it's like spending a lazy summer in this place, you know? It, it's sort of like it's almost like. We're Harold Hill, right? And that like we come to this town and we end up hanging out longer than maybe we planned. That like, you know, he is a he is a businessman who is like, you know, makes his living by coming into a place, accomplishing his goal in leaving because he is he is faster than everybody else, right? That like he is he is um out and 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 doing the next con before anybody else figures out what he's what he's about. Um but in this particular place, he is sort of lulled into a slower, more um, languid of rhythm, right? That that like his his fast talking ways are sort of are sort of um, you know he meets in the middle, right? He speeds up the town, but it, the town also slows him down. And I feel like that's the vibe that you get from watching the show. That like you're sort of like spending spending this sort of like uh lazy summer just sort of like you know listening to the barbershop quartet right before the fireworks go off you know what do you what do you guys think is that like it's it feels like one of these musicals that's not super about that i'm for some reason i'm I'm associated my mind with like bye bye birdie which is like another musical where like i don't remember what it's about i remember at one point there's like a woman who sneaks into a shriners meeting but i don't remember why um you know but it's like one of these things as as though she needs a reason matt as though as though anyone needs a reason to sneak into a shriners meeting yeah Whereas I don't know, as opposed to something like like West Side Story or Damn Yankees, where like things are happening, like there are problems that need to be resolved, and everyone is like working to like see if they can fix the plot. Whereas like you know there, there's a plot of the Music Man, but honestly like there's a point in the musical where like until the evil traveling salesman comes back to town, it feels like he's almost there to like force the musical to like get on with it, right? Like you know the, everyone is content to just sort of like. Um, exists in this sort of like um this wonderful state of anticipation where it's like yeah the band any second the band is going to be ready but there's no urgency there's no ticking clock and then this guy shows up 
Um, and of course, like the 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 immediate. I don't. Do we need to recount the plot of the music man? Should we assume that everyone everyone has the scene by scene breakdown? I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's more inclusive to not to not assume that. So mm-hmm. it's it's about a uh, a flim flam man, uh, not not really a traveling salesman because he doesn't really sell anything. I mean, I well, guess he does, though he delivers the goods. He does. I I it's suppose that the, everything except uh, he delivers musical instruments. In, or uniforms, uh-huh. um, instruction and, uh, books, presumably instruction books. Yes, uh, but as promised, but, but, right? But uh, everything except for actual direction and instruction in said instruments, right? Yeah, but it, it's interesting. So, like, I think one of the things he says at the beginning when he's talking to like a former partner in crime is that like he had previous scams, right? He's he's in the business of being a scam traveling salesman, right? So he's he's sold snake oil in the past. But this is better. This is this is the ultimate con. And it's interesting to talk about like why that might be, like why Harold Hill feels that selling a boy's band is the you know the the epigee of the the art of being a flip flip man. Yeah. Uh Pete, had you seen it recently? I mean, was it when was the last time you, you watched it, or was this your, your first experience with No, the music I band? I watched I watched the movie yesterday and today i broke it up a little bit and it's the first time i've ever seen it despite being a trombonist who knows the trombone song very well and having a whole like a very long uh period of time spent in the theater right pete i'm kind of i'm kind of surprised that you like didn't play Winthrop as a child. I didn't come up. (laughs) i mean we were more you know who winthrop you know who winthrop is (laughs) in the show right in the in the 60s movie is it ron howard that is ron howard that is actual ron howard yeah um, okay, so to connect this to what Matt was saying, The Music Man is one of many, or at least maybe a half dozen, really prominent American musicals that you might characterize as post-war agrarian nostalgia, like sort of post-war, almost pre-industrial, not quite pre-industrial, but like but like uh, past, pastoral, American regional pastoral pieces mm-hmm. where they pick a particular part of the country that isn't New York City and you go there and you experience like young love and you experience, you know, the natural phenomena that are characteristic of the place. Right. You know, the um, whether it's the beautiful morning in Oklahoma or whether it's the very nice clam bake, you know, on, on Cape Cod or wherever they are over there. Right. Um, in Carousel. Right. It's it's. There, there. These things started coming around big time around the Second World War, and and stuck around. I mean, we're in the later end of that with the Musical Man. It's it's sort of like if this is a genre, the Music Man is is at the point of Baroque and almost parody, where you might say the par- the full on realization of this eventually is the Sound of Music, which brings it all back around. And we should totally do a Sound of Music episode at some point, right? But um, and that's another musical I'm very unfamiliar with uh, and have not like actually sat down and enjoyed. But I, I kind of understand the relationship between the pastoral and the Nazis is is very uh, concrete in that particular. Mm-hmm. No, Pete, turn it turn it off. Uh, like when you show it to kids, you turn it off right after Captain Von Trapp and Maria get married. And so it has it is a musical with a happy ending and nothing else ever happens. <laughs> History- no, no, when that happens, what I do is I pause the show and then i hand out copies of mouse to every child in attendance <laughs> and we don't keep going until you've read the whole thing covered cover. oh that's how we do it right <laughs> and then we blow we blow up the picture of the naked mouse like and put it on a put it on a poster on the side of the house this is just over that and then we're good but like this is, this is pre-k curriculum of course yeah but shapoopy 
one of the things that's confusing about Shapoopy to bring it around is it's like here's a little song about what it's like to go steady in the Midwest, right? And then and then there's that weird do re mi fa so. What how's it go? Do re mi fa si do si do or whatever it is. Yeah, si, right? t, like, t is C in more traditional solfege. Yeah. Okay, but it is it is a fusion of the solfege diatonic scale major scale and square dance calling, right? right? And that's supposed to be that's like clever. Right. <laughs> that, that you've like juxtaposed uh, virtuosic and well-trained musical performance with Midwesterners who in this particular era or epoch uh, are understood to have no access to formal music training, which is the entire premise of the show. Right. So so it is a it is a paradox uh, of a show where it is about how Midwesterners don't know how to do world class music because they live these idyllic lives in the country. Uh, and it depicts all of this to you by taking the finest uh, song and dance actors in either New York or Los Angeles and having them stand in for said people and kind of create sort of dream musical versions of them. But, yes, I would say that, like, if you have uh, I mean, I would even say our town fills that niche if you don't want to get musical. But like if you have a production of Carousel going on, you don't need a production of The Music Man, right? Like if you have a production of Oklahoma going on, right? Like you Hello don't Dolly. Get- you yeah, mean yeah, in this exactly. you mean in in this season of the amateur dramatics in the church basement, if you ha- you yeah. only need to program one of these <laughs> per year. I feel like one of these per five years. <laughs> <laughs> like first of all, you got to have cuz like what are the big kinds of shows you want to do? You want to do the like the you want to do the little girl growing up show because that's who your best singer is going to be right oh, like, Pete, want, is it is it wick is it yes exactly sarah asked me what my favorite musical was and that was my answer <laughs> the secret but garden anyway, yeah. i'm monopoly yeah i love the secret garden musical it's super great but um, all right but Pete. anyway i'm diverging here i'm i'm let's get back to the subject let's back to hugh jackman dancing around sorry about what okay, were you saying but- well, here's something. So, like, at the time this was written, you know, the the um, man who wrote it, it was actually supposed to be, like, you know, a, a loving memoir of his child. This was like a Christmas story for him, right? This is, right. like, this is what it was like <laughs> to grow up at a place in time. And presumably, like, you know, so it was said in 1912. It came out in the late 50s. It's, it's probably not fair to say that, like, most of the audience remembered this time fondly, right? This is more like this is what my parents' lives were like. Um, but it's still like, you know, it, it would be like doing an eighties musical now. Right. You know, about like, you know, the, you know, yeah. 1984, baby, we're going to the white snake concert. Like that's what the music man was, but here's the thing. So, but now it's time for a new revival of the music man and it's, it's 2022. Um, what do we make of doing, what are we supposed to make of the music man now? Right. We're like, uh, the, the, you know, we get older, the music band stays the same age. <laughs> so, I'll try to answer this, at least to start with, like, kind of the original time frame we're talking about, right? You know, a show debuting in the late 50s with the time set, time at the, you know, the, what, the, the 1910-ish or so, right? So, like, for for this show, for a lot of what we talked about before, right, this kind of post-war straddling, you know, after World War II, but uh, looking back at, a, at, an, at an earlier time, um, I would expand the the record set as well to like My Fair Lady, um, even the Mary Poppins movie as well too. So you have a lot of situations where uh, audiences that are kind of firmly ensconced in this post-war um, framework are looking back at a time and and seeing characters struggle with the world order changing in a really fundamental way. Um, and with the Music Man, uh, this kind of you know tectonic shift, this force that's coming in is interstate commerce 
or you have, you know, moving from a situation where everyone in a small town knows each other um, and it has those kind of like, you know, very low locale based relationships and, 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 and systems for trust and things like that. Have a stranger come in from out of town uh, selling things um, that seem amazing that are brought in by the Wells Fargo wagon, uh, very importantly, as well. Um, and uh, and at the end of the day, you know, maybe not perhaps as the music man himself originally intended, um, drastically opens up their horizons um, and improves their lives. So there's uh, my working theory here. And I would love to hear some cooperation on this. Is that for that particular original context, you have um, post-war audiences, um, you know, trying to just come to terms with the new world order, the new way of life, um, uh, by way of the past and examining a quote-unquote simpler time and negotiating between those two realities. Now, what's going on now? Uh, I, I struggle to have a, a, I don't have quite a, 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 a well-established thesis point here, but I'll say that like um, you know, con men of the past are are, are genteel and uh, or at least of this sort are um, innocuous compared to uh, the sort that winds up occupying the White House and unleashes terrible are, are forces. Are they though, Mark? Because the, play, the playbook seems remarkably similar. You know, he manufactures a moral panic. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like he, he creates kind of a common enemy. You know, he uses a lot of vague, threatening language, but is like difficult to pin down. It's sort of a, a post-truth, you know, post-reality, post-experience uh, sort of perspective where people People can kind of project their own fears onto it so that everyone oh, he, is... He, he sock puppets. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And everyone is sort of angry and disoriented uh, all the time. Dif- difficult uh, difficult to get their bearings, you know? And uh, at, at the end, they march on City Hall. <laughs> wearing wearing funny costumes. <laughs> so, so if you were to produce The Music Man, you would want to focus on the dimension of what is it is it more about the music man's charisma is it about the provincial people and their unmet needs yeah that's it's an interesting thing pete i was just trying to map the hero's journey onto onto the music man and i actually think it works best if you consider like the townspeople collectively as being called to adventure you know and having like mm-hmm. a refusal of the call and then like you know the various kind of stages along the uh along the progression and ending ending the story as the master of both worlds where they have kind of the best of their uh, you know, the best of their, uh, small town lifestyle, but then some of the, the, uh, what the culture and the excitement, you know, that come from the, that come from the, the bigger cities. I mean, to, you know, uh, to say nothing of New York or Chicago, I'm talking about Dubuque here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Winthrop really self-actualizes in this. That's in a this good story, point. Right? Yeah, that and that like um, that that it actually sort of it it makes the most sense because he, he you know Harold Hill kind of goes on a reverse hero's journey, right? Like uh, his thing is more about about renunciation, you know, than it is about uh, about triumphing, and that's. Um, you know, that's sort of interesting, but no, the, the, the answer Pete to what I would focus on, if I were to, uh, 
uh, I would, if I were to do this, is that the songs and the dancing are awesome. And that's what I would focus on, right? Like, and that's the thing that you can't, I, you know, I have a lot of like ideas about the, the flim flam man and like actually kind of this is a critique of America that is, that is kind of, you know, has some penetrating insights and, and whatnot. But uh, just remember as when you're reading Paradise Lost that God is God, you know, and high kicks are awesome and uh, people doing, <laughs> people doing flips and, uh, you know, little square dance things. It's fantastic. And the when they when they show the cutaway to the the little boy and the little girl dancing alongside everyone else in the you know in the town square, it just it 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 makes your heart grow three sizes that day. So it's uh you know I don't and, know. And to go back to Shapoopy, the song is borderline nonsense, um, but the dance they do that like <laughs> bizarre like I don't even know how to describe it. Like you know like where they're um uh, where their 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 feet. Uh, move very stiffly but in perfect sync with each other um it it, it is i think i only describe it as otherworldly right i mean it really transports you <laughs> to a to a to an unusual place in an altered state well to, is, to the, like, yeah. is, is the choreography the same or similar what was the choreography like in the show you saw mark um it's been a few years since i've seen the movie but uh I remember when the when the shapoopy number came on it's like oh they're doing the shapoopy dance <laughs> it was very exciting <laughs> It's, so there's yeah, a point of reference. It's okay. it's yeah. square dance. I mean, I th- I think also the styles of the songs want certain kinds of choreography traditionally, right? Like, but yeah, in the I mean, in the film, it's just you know, it's just wonderful. And like how how content the film is to take its to take its time. I would I had a like a straw man. Um, I had a straw man. I had a straw music man in my head <laughs> as I was uh, as I was watching the actual music man, and I was thinking about like what what is the bad contemporary version of this movie and as they as uh, you know Robert Preston was singing 76 trombones and it was just like it was the whole number was in three shots and it was just him just selling his ass off to these people you know and like them gradually getting uh getting more and more excited by it about the monorail no sorry about the um about the the band that that they're going to have like that like um i was imagining okay okay the bad version is you know i don't know who 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 does it the uh someone's fantasy casting was neil patrick harris okay neil patrick harris is in the new movie of this right and uh then we cut away to cgi trombones (laughs) like you know and you see the parade and it's beautiful it's like uh it's like something out of lord of the rings one of those like digital shots where the camera sweeps down from on high and twirls around the you know the big orb at the the top of the drum major's stick and pull you know you go down the whole slide of a trombone like the the opening scenes to the early fast and the furious movies and you know float across the 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 feathers of the marching band uniform hats and the whole thing and it's like how wrong-headed how wrong-headed that would be and just how glorious it is to to see something that was made at a time where the style was like you let you you put talented people in front of the camera and let them let them do their thing uh and it doesn't necessarily have to be tarted up with a uh you know with a lot of excitement other than that like that is exciting enough it all happens on a human scale and i just i don't know i enjoyed and appreciated the heck out of that uh watching you know uh watching this um for this episode 
I'm now imagining a version of this where Steven Seagal is the star. <laughs> and he just sings each individual word, and it's, like, heavily auto-tuned. and just, like, rapidly cuts to close-ups of his eyes and his head and his face and his hands and, like, musical <laughs> instruments with, like, wapa wapa sounds while they're singing every song in the musical. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Oh, is so, that is that sorry? The change in fight choreography style is anal- analogous. I suppose I should clarify what I mean by that. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, you're talking about um, yeah, I hear you. That the, yeah. the yeah, close cuts and the kind of the, the shaky yeah. camera stuff. But that's uh, it. Like Jack, Jackie Chan said in an interview once, like if you see the the camera whipping around and cutting fast and stuff like that, the actor doesn't know how to fight. Whereas in all of his <laughs> classic movies, camera is on a tripod and it doesn't move. It just yeah. like watches them fight and they're incredible. You know. So I want to go back to we were talking about kind of the loose plotting and kind of the, the character journeys that happen here. Um, I want to hone in on a specific scene in the stage adaptation. I'd be curious to see how it hit hit for all of you when you watched the movie recently. I'm talking about when the Wells Fargo wagon, aforementioned Wells Fargo wagon, rolls into town. Right, And this is very much from the perspective of uh, the, what do you call the provincial people of River City, Iowa. Right? Um, and uh, you, on the stage, first of all, like you should know that um, quite ingeniously, you see the Wells Fargo wagon coming uh, across the horizon in like this small, like maybe one foot tall uh, little uh, wagon that is uh, very charmingly moving across uh, the, sta- the back, the backdrop of the stage, um, which is definitely played for laughs and, and gets a good kick out of the audience. And then triumphantly, the Wells Fargo wagon uh, rolls onto the stage, um, you know, full size and with, um, you know, clearly two, <laughs> two, two, two humans uh, in a horse suit. Uh, prancing in uh, quite enthusiastically, and 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 the people are and and all the people of River City. First of all, like you know, they all in unison look to the horizon um, from the left of the stage to the right of the stage. Um, uh, I don't know if my I'm doing my terminology right, but you know, as an audience member, you know, I'm looking at the stage and they are all oriented from left to right. Um, and you can just see the anticipation in their faces, um, their voices lighting up. And then the, the, the Wells Fargo wagon enters from the left, comes into the right. Uh, and, and with this backdrop, you have, um, that scene where Winthrop gets the, the, the cornet and is so excited and, uh, you know, just, uh, kind of breaks through, you know, the, his, uh, all of his reservations about speech impediment, as I mentioned before, like, you know, has his self-actualization moment of sorts. And to the left-hand side, you see Marion with the piece of paper, with the information that could damn uh, and expose Harold Hill. And uh, and she puts it away. There, there was this, like, really profound sense of direction, space, and momentum, and a sense of yearning uh, from the people and transformation that that I saw there that I just like, like wanted to share that particular stage moment and see if like any of that um, uh, came across uh, on, on the screen. Sure. I mean, it's it, to a certain extent, it's easier on the screen because you can point the camera at different things and like cut between them. 
you know? And so mm-hmm. like, it's, it's very difficult to control an audience's focus from, you know, point to point on a large stage. And I mean, what you're talking about sounds like very good direction, like sounds like very good staging, uh, in terms of like getting your, getting your focus, you know, to go to, to where it needs to be to kind of understand what's happening at, at any given moment. And that can be a function of, of stuff like lighting, but, uh, really it's the, the arrangement of the arrangement of people and, and, you know, architecture on the stage and like how you kind of, yeah, how you make them move, like the, the orchestration of, of, uh, bodies and, and the yeah. objects and motion in, in space. And so that sounds, you know, that yeah. sounds, it sounds really cool, but yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, it is those, those beats happen in the film. Um, she tears it out of a book, uh, as it happens in the, uh, yeah. you know, and the other notable thing about that as well is like, you know, you see her make this like conscious choice to go along with the lie. Um, and so like, just let herself get swept up in the moment. Um, and like, as I've been thinking about the show and the story, uh, since I saw it earlier this week, um, that is the thing that I kind of meditating on the most is like the power of hope, um, that, uh, animates people. And like the, really the, the fine line between, um, uh, uh, aspiration and self delusion (laughs) and delusion, I think. Or maybe it's it, it which like uh to to elaborate that on a little bit, it's you know, the, the, it's not self it's not self delusion that like they kind of came up with themselves, right? It was you know foisted upon them by someone else. Um but um I think the point still stands in terms of uh you know the a a, a, a group of people um you know animated by a new idea um and how powerful just the idea can be to the point where uh, at the end of the show um, it's like the collective imagination is so powerful that it takes like a really shoddy musical performance of uh, the minuet and G and turns it into like a full on glorious marching band on the stage. So like, that's like the main thing I'm thinking about and is like that animating uh, force um, the, the characters as they, go along for that and then it's grand culmination at the end i don't have like a a a grand unified theory beyond that but it is like that is like the the main journey that i think of that you know if it's, a, if it's loosely plotted sure fine but like you know the show certainly takes you on that particular journey how do they do it on the stage do the actors play oh oh yeah it's it's they don't play i don't think they play their own instruments but the staging of it is interesting um because what you have is um you know that the kind of the, the quote unquote, for lack of a better word, real uh, um, uh, events as they happen. You know, the the the, the small band uh, plays poorly, and everyone's excited about it. Um, and the the curtain goes down, and everybody claps. Um, and what's happening is that the actors are all changing into uh, outfits, their different outfits. Uh, at the end, Winthrop comes out um, in his uniform. Uh, plays a little solo thing on the trumpet and then you're like, ah, okay. Like then, you know, the, the stuff is really about to happen. Um, and then they go on for like kind of the big band finale thing. Brief sidebar, by the way, is that I'm pretty sure they added a tap dancing sequence just for Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster to do their thing. Um, because uh, if you've got the two of them in a Broadway musical, um, they really ought to be tap dancing. And when the two of them are tap dancing, really all is right in the world. 
Um, there can be no ills <laughs> that that can that can be fell anybody uh, under that spell. But um, yeah, so then they do that, and then um, everybody's out, and you know they they do the big seventy six trombones um, finale. They're they they're holding the instruments. I'm pretty sure they're not actually playing them, and that's you know that's what the folks in the pit are there for. But it's great. It it is it is it's still very effective. Like the, the what happens on on screen is like is is different and kind of like. Uh, uh, made more literal in a certain sense because they're marching through um, the same set sets that we see earlier. Um, but the net effect is still the same. But when you're, when you're seeing it in the stage, like your your imagination is just going, uh, you know, already on overdrive because you're uh, uh, primed to accept so much um, for in terms of suspension of disbelief. Um, that you know, I, I uh, you know, again, like true to the point of the entire story is that like you, you've just you've just been swept up along with all of it that you're just willing to accept it and like, yes, of course, of course I can play this well. Mark, let me, let me ask you something because I, I think the point of the musical at the end is that all these people needed something. They needed hope. They needed excitement. There was something missing. Almost like that, that movie Pleasantville where the whole world was in black and white and gradually it sort of moves to color. Um, but then that, that sort of raises the, that raises the question about how, how miserable was life in River City before Harold Hill came along, right? On the one hand, I think even from the beginning of the show, it's this nostalgic view of the past. And it's not – there's a sort of trilogy of movies or it's, this, it's a trilogy in my mind about Thatcherite uh, England, which I guess I, – I, let me see if I can remember them. So it would be Billy Elliot, uh, Brastoff, and uh, The Full Monty. Right. Which I, I think the full Monty has said in the in the past. But anyway, the point is sort of like it's this time in England where, like, you know, everyone is against the ropes. Right. Where life is bleak, hopeless. The way the way of life that everyone knows is is uh, at the end of the line. And people are sort of like desperate to turn to something for that'll make them smile. Right. They need us uh, to, to look to art, to culture. To 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 regain some joy, right? That's not what the music band feels like, right? It's not like these people are miserable no. and hopeless. No, but there is a a less bleak version of that. Um, they're forced to listen to their uh, windbag, dull, idiot mare <laughs> drone on, and that's like that passes on as entertainment. Um, it, it, there is a char- I don't remember the character's name, but there's like the the boy who is depicted as a troubled youth. <laughs> He's got nothing better to do than to shoot off firecrackers, um, and cause trouble. Um, and then there's Marion as well, which I think like that's just kind of symbolic of all of it, right? Um, where uh she's teaching a piano lesson, uh, and the girl keeps missing the last note, um, very conspicuously, um, and it's. Uh, a solitary exercise. It's devoid of any social relationship. Um, it's not done with any passion or enthusiasm. And notably as well, the girl who's taking the piano lesson turns around and uh, insults and makes fun of Winthrop. Uh, it's like the, there's, so there's like this, just kind of um, this, this sense of discord. That's, that's the word operative word there. There is a sense of discord throughout the town. And um, lo and behold, by the end, Harold Hill brings harmony to it all. There's a certain there's a certain meanness, right, under the surface. Yeah. That everyone everyone is well. I mean, they sing the song to introduce themselves at the beginning about the the Iowa way, right? Which is sort of like they're sort of primly polite on the outside, but there's this coldness, and yeah. they're they're proud of it. 
yeah, yeah. And then you also have the, the, the Harold Hill coming in, yeah, and, and like you know just being greeted coldly by everyone. Um, which, well, you know, it's a, it's, it's an understandable. Uh, it goes back to my earlier point about uh, you know kind of the, the turn of the century, you know, the the huge uh, you know tectonic shift in American society uh, brought on by industrialization, interstate commerce, right? It is it is like a a, a totally natural thing to do, <laughs> greet an outsider uh, um, with suspicion until you can uh, until you can establish otherwise. Yeah, it, I mean, uh, sorry, Pete, you you jump in. Oh, oh, I was just going to suggest there's also an element. There's a moment of this in the show that is part of, I think, a familiar thesis that I think in our contemporary experience we can discard as having been disproven, but at the time would have probably felt valid, which is uh, the the gossiping that the women in town do. Right, mm. which is very very gender normed. Right, that the women in town say nasty things about each other and about the people in town all the time. And it's suggested, I think, that they do this because they don't have anything else to do and right. nothing to believe in. And nobody has really said that they could, they have any skills or talents or abilities to do anything beyond what they're currently doing. And as a result, right, they gossip a lot. Now, of course, nowadays you have infinite different things you could be doing. Any number of these people could get started on the road to becoming a pro StarCraft player. And yet people still spend more time <laughs> gossiping horribly about each other <laughs> than they do uh, practicing their macro or their, uh, their two base all ins. So um, maybe that isn't exactly how it works, but I think it might've been how they felt like it worked at the time. Like it's bad for your character to have nothing to to dream on, right? I, I will challenge that a certain way. Yeah. Um, which is that, you know, in the modern landscape of uh, leisure time and social media, we have gone from something like a Facebook, which is um, a, a or Instagram, which is feeding into toxic social uh, anxieties. And we have moved to uh, the latest craze of TikTok, which mm. is what a TikTok, if not people showing off their Grecian earned dance moves. To each other. Yeah. So the idea is that the people who hated the ice bucket challenge are the problem, and the, and the, the the solution was to make a platform that was all ice bucket challenges, <laughs> yes, exactly. which is sounds awesome. That sounds pretty. <laughs> it just it is kind of baff. The whole thing is kind of baffling because I don't know how good they thought a marching band could get. <laughs> in a short period of time with no experience. I mean, we should point out that we are four people on this podcast who have a great deal of experience with marching bands and know full well that even if they had, you know, Leonard Bernstein himself doing one-on-one -on -one tutorials with each one of these kids from between when they get the instrument to when they have to do the show, the show is going to be terrible because it takes years to learn how to play those instruments. They don't have the physical ability to do it. They got some little kid playing the tuba who has no muscle tone in his mouth, right? Like it's it's. Uh, I mean, again, if if that sounds weird, I'm not meaning to be weird or creepy. The point being that, like, especially playing brass instruments, there's a physical adaptation to the instrument that takes uh, months or years <laughs> to get good at. Sure. So, so like I've been to shows that the, sounded the reed, like that. The reed instruments, you know, yeah. the 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 single reeds, they they'd be their lips would be bleeding the yes. whole time. <laughs> you know? It's like somebody getting a guitar and going up and shredding like Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Your hand would be covered in your own blood. Like it just doesn't work if you haven't been practicing. It reminds um, me. It reminds me of the old joke, Pete. Do you know the old joke? No, there's only one. Yeah, yeah, go yeah for it. the old joke. The woman goes out with the tuba player, 
uh, hey, how was your date? Oh, his kissing is just the, the, the big floppy slaps of meat. You know, it's a, she goes out with a trumpet player. Oh, how was your date? Ah, we kissed goodnight, but his kiss was a dry little pucker and the you know i couldn't couldn't even get into it and she goes out with the french horn player uh, how was your date uh kissing was all right but i love the way he held me nah. <laughs> i love that joke yeah actually you probably you probably should have been the one to tell it the actual french horn player is it true but- what they say about french horn players matt You know, I mean, it varies from French horn player. To, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's trueish. Largely it can be true. Largely with this, largely true. Look trueish. <laughs> but yeah, it's and so the point being that like the big crime is they sent a marketer instead of a music teacher to sell musical instruments, right? And 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 market and and uh, and he misrepresented his qualifications. Um, but yeah, but like they were not going to be good. But they didn't know that. They thought that they were gonna they were buying a band out of the box. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's the idea. I don't want to bash the show because it's a good show. But I but there's a lot of assumption, I think, that goes into the things that are happening that to me feels uh, that, that I don't have those assumptions. So it, the, a lot of the events in the show don't make any sense. But, sure. It's but, true. Yeah. It's true that I, I think people would, one thing that you're saying is that the river, the people of River City are not kind of played to the top of their intelligence. Right. Right. And right, that's right, like right, right. they yeah. are kind of like it, it requires that they be credulous rubes one and all. Um, more or less. And that, you know, and, and you get the sense that the, the ones like the mayor who is right, you know, the mayor who is correct, like we should actually check this person's credentials, you know, is just an old fuss budget who's like, uh, you know, who's, who's raining on our parade with 76 trombones. And that's, uh, you know, he's John Lithgow from Footloose, which is not anything that any politician wants to be. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and you, you get the sense also that what the sheriff or something is not, is in on it, right? Like, or at least kind of sees through it has a little more worldliness because in the film, he says at the beginning, he says, um, to Harold Hill, Oh, you made two mistakes. One was he went after the billiard parlor and the billiard parlor is owned by the mayor. And the second thing is that young lady over there is his eldest daughter. And you just yeah. sent her off with the ruffian behind that from, you know, hanging out, hanging out in, in the alleyways. Right. And so there, there is some sense that, that they're not all uh they're not all credulous rubes and and like the thing with marion i'm i'm interested like in you know what what you think about um what you think about marion and her kind of transformation or kind of where she ends up at in the in the end of the show because like she does seem to cotton on reasonably quickly and then just decides ah what the heck you know, like, ah, oh, fudge it. And she goes to, to the, you know, uh, and she sort of goes along with it and lets her, lets herself get, get swept up in, in the excitement. Um, I mean, Mark, yeah. how did Sutton Foster play that arc? Um, really well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> I mean, again, it's, it's been a few years since I've seen Shirley Jones, um, do it, do it in the, in the, in, in the movie. Um, she like the again i'm thinking back to that that the pivotal moment um it it's all it's also kind of subtle because like facial um uh, facial gestures are uh, kind of hard to read um from unless you're like you're Matt blinking and you're sitting at the at the at the front row in hamilton um and so it it, it 
tellingly like in the in the beginning of the of the of the second act um in the shoot because the second act starts with shapoopy by the way and it's not not in the kind of the same setting and same order as it is in, in the movie um you see her just like kind of gradually open up with a smile um which is uh and it kind of gets grow, grows bigger and bigger throughout that and and um, you know, it, it telegraphs are kind of getting swept away. Really, it's kind of get swept away. Um, and another important scene is um, when the other salesman comes into town and tries to convince Marion that Harold Hill is a fraud. Um, and uh, you see, and then also when, when she's trying to reconcile what she heard from from that salesman with with Harold Hill, um, there's like a manicness about her performance there um where you know she's not really in full control of her um of her faculties uh and it, it's 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 definitely played up for laughs um but it is also like a very marked contrast to the the coldness and composedness that you see her at the beginning um was there any of that in the in the Shirley Jones performance in the movie. Shirley Jones is an interesting actress. Um, she's <laughs> she. I mean, that's Matt. That's fair, right? Like because she's I was interested. In, yeah, she's in all of those shows that I was talking about. Like she's in the movie of Oklahoma, the movie of Carousel, the movie of The Music Man. Right? She's like in South Pacific on Broadway. So she's done all these. She did all these parts, but she. Um, and then she goes on to be the mom on the Partridge family, which is such a journey, right? Like, just such a journey. But I feel like the movie that I just watched did not have a credible depiction of of female desire in it. It was a reflection of an expectation. And maybe and maybe somebody who knows it more intimately can, you know, knows the knows how the dynamics more intimately can say, oh, no, no, no. It was totally there. You just didn't see it right. Or, or it's just using an outdated uh, gesture vocabulary but like i think that shirley jones's attraction to the music man in this movie was built around a performance style that was trying to play an ingenue in a particular sort of way that was expected and reflected by the audience and culture of the time the problem is of course that marion isn't an ingenue and that's kind of the point mm-hmm. of her character is that she's not an ingenue right. or let me rephrase it it's like it's like really essential to her character that she's not a uh, a like naive and uh kind of like inexperienced woman who is going to be like swept away by her first feelings of of amorous intent for like whatever man comes along That's, right and is going to sort of be that wilting flower and so delicate right he says um, it harold says it when they go to the bridge he says you're late you're no you're like 25 years too late to come right. to that which you know which puts her at 40 right ish, and i ish right and her and how old was she when the movie came out she was 23 sure so so mm. I don't I think she's pretty badly miscast. She's good, but she's miscast dramatically in the dramatic arc of the role. She's cast for her singing and dancing ability, yeah. um, which is great. So, and, she, and she's really good. But it's like but none of the but the other roles that she's in where she plays characters that have those that start as an ingenue and then have that pathos. I think she bridges that gap. But this character who started with it, I never really I didn't feel like she credibly fell in love with this dude. I didn't see a a particular reason for her to be doing the things that she was doing other than that. She was a woman in the 50s who had to be in love with a man by the time the movie was over. So so a couple Um, of things to to add to this, which is that one son Foster is in her 40s um, and kind of, you know, 
uh, 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 you know, more age appropriate, I think, for the role. Although, like, her, her younger brother went through up the age. How exactly does that square up? It's lives. She, sorry, she's 28 when the movie came out. She's 23 when the musical came out. She wasn't the musical. She didn't. Mm. Sorry, but yeah, go ahead. Um, the other thing that's really important to, to note about the stage show versus the movie is that um, her second act solo song for Marion is different. Um, huh. It's being in love is in the movie. In the stage show, it's a song called "My White Knight." Um, Blinky, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, but uh, I'm not, I can't I, know, I can't like quote the lyrics for both of them and, and AB them in, in, in yeah, real and real time here. But it it is it is the tone is different. Um, the song is um, uh, a little more I think a little more poignant. Yeah, when I think it's important because it's it's the exact uh, mirror image of Harold's song about the woman that he's waiting for, the sadder but wiser girl, right? Where he he thinks he wants a certain type, she thinks she wants a certain type, and they're the exact opposites, but it, it turns out that they actually work well together, right? So she's talking about how she wants somebody who could, like, you know, muse about the greatness of Shakespeare, right? It's, you know, like a, like a, a, a cultured um, old school man. And it's funny because he, he, I think Harold presents him. It's, 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 he comes into the town as a real reactionary, right? He's talking about like, you know, almost like a Baptist preacher type. He's talking about the, the dangers of modern culture. And then, you know, he's bringing the band to town. It's, it's interesting that like the musical, there, there's this, um, you know, the, the almost like a, um, inception level of nostalgia to it right because it's a 1950s musical about being nostalgic for the 1910s but everybody in the musical is nostalgic for i guess the 1890s the 1880s mm. right <laughs> starting with the very Those first the number, days right well because it starts with these salesmen and all they're talking about is like how uh the 1910s are awful like you know like oh the, the business used to be better people used to be better uh, you know, that like it's different, it's different than it was. Uh, you know, like these, these, you know, the Model T Ford has ruined everything. And then, of course, he's like, you know, what he's talking about the boys' band. The reason that the band is appealing to these people is it's, it's part of some mythical past, right? Like John Philip Sousa, right? You know, uh, I don't know if these people, any of them, including Harold, actually has ever really seen a real marching band of this sort. But they all sort of have this idea that, like, it represents a better time. You know, whereas that, like, at the same stepping outside the frame of the show, it's like, you know, the, the 1910s world of River City, Iowa, maybe was supposed to represent a better time than the 1950s. And then, of course, like, you know, maybe we're we're one step removed from it now, whereas that, like, when we, when we revived The Music Man, it's a revival of a 1950s show that they don't write them like that anymore. That in itself is looking back towards an earlier time. Uh, it contains these sort of like styles of music, you know, the barbershop quartet, I think was already um, very much like a, a sort of a antiquated, uh, you know, it was a relic of an earlier era in the 1950s. Um, and it's, it's interesting. So it's nostalgia all the way down is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, Matt, does that all ring true for you? Ding dong, <laughs> ding dong. Um, yes, I mean, it's. Uh, I, sorry, I was going down a rabbit hole looking up who Marion the librarian was on uh, on Broadway. The for while while oh, you guys were yeah, talking. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, that, that's an interesting rabbit hole, right? It is uh, Barbara Cook. Who you know? Now I I know like these days largely as an interpreter of Sondheim, 
Um, but, uh, yeah, who, who was, uh, who was, you know, quite a looker, uh, at the time, but also, also seemed too young really on, uh, really in order to, to really, I don't know, be the, be the character in the, in the way you were saying though was older, I guess in 1957, um, than Shirley was in, uh, in the sixties when the, when the, the film came out. Um, anyway, I don't know. We're, we're kind of coming up towards the, uh, towards the, the time to close. So I guess we start our marching band performance now. Uh, is everyone ready for the minuet and G? <laughs> Six. It is. I mean, seven, at the at the end eight. of the day, the the music band is like it's a meta musical about how great music is, right? That like mm-hmm. the whole thing is that like you have these four bickering people who have never gotten along a day in their life, and all you got to do is teach them how to sing. Uh, they they claim that they can't sing, and then you teach them to sing, um, and it changes everything, right? That like you know once, even if it's. This sort of um, the idea of music, right? You don't, you're not actually teaching them music. I think crucially, it's not that the town doesn't have any access to music education. They do. That's what Marion is. Marion is there to teach them music. Um, but I guess, and some people, at least we know one person is taking advantage of it. But there's something joyless about the way that, like, you know, she is. She doesn't have any. You know, she, music is this sort of like soulless doing these exercises, right? Doing doing right. these like technical uh, exercises that there's no sort of like you know um, I don't even want to say artistry it's not fun right whereas Harold is all fun and no no technical no skills yeah. which I guess is why they're the perfect couple there's no yeah. well sure and, and, yeah to use the master to use the um the, the hero's journey framework that we mentioned alluded to earlier right you know uh, the 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 town collectively becomes the master of both worlds right Harold Hills. Charisma combined with Marion's technical proficiency makes the amazing band that we see at the end. There isn't, I mean, it isn't clear to me what the basis of this town's economy is. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> I guess there's a candy shop. Um, Corn, probably, right? <laughs> well, right. But there's no, I mean, talk, just circling back to what you said, Pete, at the very beginning, that like this is a, this is a sort of uh, a type of post-war musical where, uh, you know, to a certain extent, the message is like, you know, Cincinnatus back to your farm, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, it's time to, to, to beat your, beat your swords into, into plowshares. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> grow some corn, <laughs> I suppose, but you know, there isn't much of a sense of, there's a sense of like, uh, main street life, but it, it is a very Disneylandified, um, main street where you don't get, get the sense that there is a, you know, there is really a, a full fledged uh full-fledged economic system i don't know where where like where does everyone get the 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 money with which they buy things that are delivered by the the wells fargo wagon buy things from from what from sears and roebuck i suppose or or uh you know a a different uh different mail order different mail order concern a lot of stuff on that wells fargo wagon so i've been trying to figure out what figure of speech applies to the title the music man hmm and I'm settling on solepsis. Okay. Do you think that would work? The idea being that he is a he is a man. He is literally speaking a man who sells music. So he's the music man. Uh huh. But he's also figuratively speaking a man who is 
comprised of music in that he is a mu- singing and dancing character in a musical who in his sort of full Broadway musicality is being used as an agent for influence in the scenario. Um, right. Or is it the music man in that he sings a song that, uh, that people respond to, right? The, the sort of, um, musicality is, is metaphorically about his personality, but literally about the way the movie portrays it. Um, do you think that if you make the music man, you should make a version where they all are terrible at singing and there are no musical songs? It's just like a like like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air remake. <laughs> it's just like a, a gritty reboot of the Music Man, where it's just really hyper realistic. <laughs> There's something perfect about the vagueness of the title, though, right? It's it, to to reference another Hugh Jackman movie. It's like the Greatest Showman. Like, what is it that P.T. Barnum does? He's like, well, he's it's just the the vibe. Right, yeah. and that's what the music man is. It's not so much he is a music teacher; he's not exactly a band leader. He is is not actually a professor yeah. uh, of music, but it's just like he has a the spirit of music within him. Yeah, it, it seems it seems momentarily useful to invoke a scholastic framework uh, like that of Aristotle's four causes. Right. So the material cause, the substance that something is made from, is is he a man of music? You know, is he a man composed somehow of music? Um, the formal cause, uh, you know, that, that, uh, the ca- the kind of the arrangement of something is it that, you know, he is a man, uh, he is a man who sometimes takes the form of music, I, I guess because he sings in a musical. Um, the efficient cause, was he made by music? I mean, presumably there was a phonograph record playing when, well, never mind about that. Or the final cause, the reason for its existence, the reason that it is, uh, the, the way it is, that he, he is a man, um, who mans for, you know, um, for music. And it, all of these things, uh, his function is to be a music man. Um, music put, put music made him the way it is. He is, he is musical in his, in his, you know, the, in his constitution, in his arrangement of parts. And he is, um, you know, he is made of music somehow. So in real steel, is the robot steel more real or is Hugh Jackman's steel of character, the real steel? Um, (laughs) Wait, I thought, I thought Hugh Jackman was made of adamantium. (laughs) <laughs> exactly right there's all sorts of ambiguity going on <laughs> well that maybe maybe these things are left uh as an exercise for the for the listener so maybe we should leave it there but this was a pleasure to uh this was a pleasure to talk about it's really nice to um it's really nice to do something that's topical and up to the minute, you know, every, every now and again, while we go on our, while we go on our flights of fancy, uh, every other week, it's nice to do something that's really, you know, hard hitting, uh, just at the forefront, the forefront of the culture, you know, the top 10 on the billboard hot 100. And I'm, I'm glad to do that. Uh, glad to do that with you guys now and uh for for members for overthinking it members who are those heroes who support us with a little uh little cash every month to help keep the lights on in the oti dome um we have recorded a uh a special bonus segment where we talk about the actual broadway going experience uh mark and matt share uh recent uh recent experiences going to the actual 
Theater. You can become a member at overthinkingit.com slash join and uh, actual members, current members, I should say, uh, because the, the actual members might be, there might be many more out there who join, um, from this, from this prompt. Uh, current members can find it in the digital library in the members area, uh, on the site. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcast. Thanks for listening. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. What do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? <laughs> So does it qualify as rap? It's the first rap. They invented rap. Okay, that's good. I was thinking that while I was watching. I was like, these people invented rap, right? I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Matt. Matt and Mark. They'll know. <laughs> MC stands for music <laughs> cast cast member. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>